This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew, it's August. Again? You know Already? What that, you know what that means. It's hot. New month, new you. Also, it's hot. Uh, and if you want to make a website about how hot it is, I recommend Squarespace. It is a hip website that helps you make websites where you can showcase your work, blog about how hot it is, or promote your business that sells products to make you less hot. Squarespace will or make more you... more hot. Or... <laughs> All right, good idea. Squarespace will make your new month, new you possible with analytics that help you grow in real time, free and secure hosting, and beautiful templates made by world-class designers. So if you want to start off this new month right, head to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash overdue. Squarespace, new month, new ideas, new you. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here with another f- Monday. I, I stalled on it. I wanted to have an adjective for that, but I didn't have one. I reached in the bag and it was empty. Manic, magic, magic? Manfred? Mm. March. <laughs> Maleficent. M- manga. <laughs> Welcome to another Manga Monday here on Overdue. One of these days, maybe it will be Manga Monday. See, that's the thing. If we, if we made it man, if we made Mondays Manga Mondays, then our whole podcast would become a manga. Podcast Welcome to our we new long read Akira project mm-hmm. for Manga Mondays. Anyway, uh, each week one of us reads a book, and then we talk about it. Uh, it's a book. Usually, we haven't read it before. That's all I got. Cool. What did you read this week? This week I read Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It's a sort of YA fantasy book. Yeah. And it's another one. So we keep talking about this uh, this list of uh, recent books by black authors that was circulating after the George Floyd protest started. And we've just been reading books off of that. Yeah. Because because it is a good thing to do and it's horizon broadening for us. And yeah. Yeah. And. And it's been neat to like, you know, like last week with McBride, I was like, oh, dang, this is someone we probably should have covered already. And then this is Adiemi's debut from two years ago, I think. Uh, so this one came out in, wasn't it 2017? And then the, oh, no, this was 2018. And then the, uh, the sequel, this, so this is the first in a planned trilogy. Uh, this one came out in March 2018, and then the sequel, Children of Virtue and Vengeance, came out in December of 2019. Yes. Okay. Great. Yes. Okay. Um, she was born in 1993, and my note just says, "Dear Lord, I'm old." Uh, I try not. I'm trying not to think about it. Try not to think about it. Try not She's to 27 think about years it. old. Yeah. She was younger than that when she published this book. Oh yeah. Though she did, she was on, she was doing an interview with James Fallon, who I just, generally I don't care for his body of work that much, but Great. she was good in the interview, <laughs> and she said to him, 
part I think partly in jest, but not totally. She says, I'm Nigerian. That means every day I'm not a doctor is like a failure to my parents. Yes, she is she's <laughs> so, mentioned that in a number of interviews. <laughs> um she grew up so in basically Ch- if she's if she's gonna be a non doctor, then like go fast and go big. Yeah and be yeah. a best selling <laughs> author right away. Um she grew up in Chicago. Her parents had emigrated from Nigeria. Um, and she said she wrote her first story when she was five, and she has described it fondly as an elaborate parent trap fan fiction on a horse farm with saris. So, okay. you know. Could read that. Uh, she also, I think in, in a couple of different interviews, I read one in Teen Vogue and one in Entertainment Weekly where she talked about it wasn't until she was maybe 17 or 18 that she realized she wasn't committing to stories that had uh black characters they were you know white characters or they you know she was just like she wanted to be more purposeful in her representation in the stories that she was telling Uh um which will i think we'll get to as we talk about this book she did go to harvard got a degree in english lit then traveled to brazil where she studied west african mythology um and that informed this work she tells a story in a couple interviews about going to like a gift shop in oh i don't know if it's i don't think oh i wish i could remember the town um but and like finding a poster of arisha and yoruba art and is it Sal- uh, salvador it, yes it was Salvador. Brazil? thank yes. you yeah um and just being moved by the artwork and it resonating with the research that she was doing um and then that kind of going into the back of her brain as she moved forward with her writing career she was in film production and had a steady job and and like the hours got reduced so she was like i'm gonna be a novelist now (laughs) and that that is where i also encountered the her parents wished she had been a doctor or engineer um which you know you have dreams for your kids your your parents are allowed to want what they want and as a (laughs) relatively recent parent i guess i haven't formulated specific hopes and dreams for henry beyond just hoping that he doesn't die in the water wars. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> and like not be a jerk. Like I think you're. Mostly I just want him to be like a good person. A good dude. Yeah. Just a good person. Yeah. Um, this book, I think she had some like trouble getting published. She had an, she had one novel that she was pitching, got rejected a bunch. She has said that it, she's happy that that didn't get accepted because it made her work harder and she probably would not have become the author she did if she hadn't at least experienced that rejection. Um, this was entered in something called like Pitch Wars, which is a whole program that that matches like industry people with aspiring novelists and like matches their manuscript to like put it into in the f- in front of agents and stuff. And she is okay. about, she runs some like writers workshops as well. Um, and she talks about that a lot there. But so this got picked up and immediately was like, boom, debuts on the YA bestseller list. New York Times at number one is there forever. Boom, gets picked up and is going to be a film, wins a children's book prize in England. Like it's going to be three books. And now she's just who she is, and what she does. She, she's on she's on the 30 under 30 list. I kind of forgot that that was still a thing. It is a thing. And I'm, you know, I saw the year 2020 next to Forbes 30 under 30, and I thought, that's a year where a lot of stuff has happened. I honestly had forgotten that the Forbes might make a list. Mm-hmm. So, good for her, though. 
I'm still trying to get on 30 over 30. I think I can do it. You, I think that's a better list to get on than the 40 under 40. 30 over 30. I think it 30. is too. 30, 30 over because over 30 encompasses a lot more people. A wide range of, of ages and it's kind of a second chance program for people who couldn't <laughs> excel at a younger age. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and like you said, Andrew, this has one sequel out already. There is a planned third. Um, and I'm just, I'm listen. Don't quote me on this, but as with many planned things that are financially and critically successful, I would be surprised if that third book comes out and then we never ever hear from these characters again. Mm, interesting. Or at least like from this world again. Sure, 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 sure. Um. I think we could probably move to the novel pretty soon, unless there's any other stuff on her that you want to get to, Andrew. Uh, not in particular, I don't think. There's a, I mean, except in so far as like th- there are real world things that she wrote this book partially in response to, but I think it's more organic to deal with that, like as it comes up in our discussion. Something I, I do think I want to share before we get in, because it, it ties into some of the things that she has said inspired this book directly, but also appears to be part of her like broader vision statement as a writer. She wrote something in 2015 that is on her website, tomiadiemi.com, um, called Why I Write, Telling a Story That Matters. And she talks about like her initial goal as a writer was like, to make a YA novel and then have it made into a movie because that's what she liked and like that's a great goal to have. And she well, it's was, a, it's a good, it's a golden age for that. Yeah, know? in the in the mid 2010s, I was like, come on. So she's like watching Maze Runner, she's watching Divergent, she's reading those books to find out like what resonates in those stories that then become movies. Then she falls in love with the Hunger Games and she's like, dang, these, I saw that trailer, that movie looks like it's gonna be great. I'm gonna read all those books and then I'm going to watch the movies and she is shocked and dismayed to discover as we talked about in our Hunger Games episodes that there were people who had read those books not paid attention to the uh, color of the skin of some of the characters in that book to the to the admittedly rarely foregrounded color of the skin yes but, yeah but yes and that it was eliciting really hateful and awful responses from purported fans of the books as it was translated into a visual medium. Um, And I think the quote from this essay is, even if the movie was fictional, the hatred was real. Mm -hmm. And so she connects this to the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement in this essay. She connects it specifically to the Charleston shooting that happened that year. I think that's what she was writing in response to. That year being, what, like 2015-ish? Yeah. Yeah. And then she kind of closes with her mission statement moving a little bit to having a burning passion to tell a story about someone who is different and to force readers to fall in love with what is different from them. Basically saying, I'm going to write a story that is so good, you want to read it and have to read it, and it's going to be about someone that's different than you, so I'm just going to like pull you over here and make you experience that because the story is good enough. Um, <laughs> and so it seems like she is coming into this genre very grounded in YA fantasy sci-fi structure, into the types of stories that succeed in this marketplace, right? In in terms of like who the who the protagonists are, how they relate to the reader, et cetera, et cetera, and the types of adventures they go on 
And then her real goal coming at this text was like, it's going to be a different place and different type of people than are normally in these books, or at least normally centered in these books. I like the the specific quote from the uh, from the Entertainment Weekly interview she was giving is, um, "Oh man, I'm going to write a story that's so good and so black that everyone's going to have to read it, even if you're racist." <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> and it's no surprise that this book, and she mentions it in in a lot of the press tour, like this book came out in the same year as Black Panther. It came out in the same year as the Ava DuVernay Wrinkle in Time film. So like. There is that all happened in 2018. It did. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> and so there, there is Black Panther. Feels like it came out. I had to triple at check at least eight years ago. I know. I had to triple check. And so there is like this pop culture swell around stories that are centering black characters, and this book arrives in that and contributes to it. Um, not you know it's. She was purposefully working towards this, and it happened to fall in the same calendar year, which calendars are arbitrary. That's a whole other podcast. Calendars but. are a construct, just like <laughs> Our money attempt, and It is society. man's attempt to impose structure on entropy is what a calendar is. Yes, yeah. It's just like we're a rock circling around another rock, and so we came up with a spreadsheet <laughs> to organize <laughs> So, So what about that? Does that help you kind of kick us off into like who this book is about maybe i think so yeah because it it is very uh like ya fantasy and by that i mean so if you're, if you're gonna do fantasy that's supposed to be read by i think like adults or at least people who are familiar with all the tropes of the genre you go further in like a song of ice and fire Wheel of Time direction. Like, obviously, those books can and, and are, can be and are enjoyed by like teens and other, other people. But like, you, you are creating this really dense world and all these really specific references. Uh, and like, you, you came up with a system and then you wrote a book that like sort of takes place within this this world and it adheres to all these rules that you've constructed beforehand does that does that yeah. make sense mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you're doing something really dense where the like the having to look things up and argue about them is kind of part of the experience <laughs> whereas if i think if you're writing fantasy for maybe a slightly younger audience like as a as a white male i guess i'm thinking of sort of lloyd alexander as a yeah, the sort one of touch point for this sort of thing. The one I didn't go further into, but I remember enjoying when I read it for the show probably 27 years ago. Um, the Dark is Rising, which is another like it's for kids, but it's about a kid who discovers he's special and goes off on an adventure, you know, and mm -hmm. it's it's later Harry Potter in a way. But yeah, but maybe like the structure of the early Harry Potters that don't have as much of that meta text stuff going mm -hmm. on. Um yeah, and and it's, she she remarks in multiple interviews that she was trying to write the book that she wished existed when she was a young teenager. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so it does it does adhere to a lot of tropes of the genre. So like there are multiple POV chapters, and the chapters don't have like specific fancy chapter names. They're just named for whoever's POV it is cool, that you're cool. getting in that chapter. Um, there is a magic system here, but it's kind of loosey-goosey. Uh, you don't need to... 
I guess everybody who picks up magic in this universe is kind of good at it really fast without having without having to work at it too hard. Okay. <laughs> Which feels sort of of a of a younger kind of fantasy to me. Like I'm thinking of in Wheel of Time when somebody wants to get good at a sword, <laughs> they have to practice they have to practice sword fighting every day for like a million years. Like this sure. is why I don't play. This is why I'm not good at guitar is because I didn't, I, <laughs> I wasn't instantly good at it. So I quit. Well, playing guitar but is a type of magic. So I feel you there. Yeah. But all of this is to, to say, if you're used to reading fantasy books, it's like, Oh yeah, I know all the stuff that's going on in this. And then it hits you that oh is it's by a black author and it's about black characters and all of that is like foregrounded in a way that sneaks up on you if you're not expecting it i was like looking for it to the extent that i saw things that she was obviously doing and i was like i want to read like interviews and some reviews of the book and make sure that that's what she's doing and then in the author's note at the end she's like i wrote this in response to like police brutality in america against black people yeah uh-huh. And I was like, okay, yes, okay. I I understood all of that. And maybe I was I was too careful. In, oh, sure. In thinking that it would be more abstract than it is if that if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um because I think there is there was an article, I think the review by Adam Serwer in the Atlantic talks about it being like sci-fi and fantasy as this space where a lot of white authors and readers like experiment with oppression and experiment mm. with the idea of like encountering a bigger like badder creature than you because yeah you're a and that person and we can definitely talk about how that plays out in this in this book yeah because i was i was really struck by how there i don't know there are a lot there's a lot of talk in fantasy books about like toppling a, an evil somebody yeah. or like or or do you work within the system to clean to, to fix it or do you have to go outside and and completely you know create this new thing and and in white fantasy or like default fantasy i guess yeah. you if you're a reader just because that's that's the perspective that's been foregrounded and that's where so many of the roots of the genre are yeah it does it it does all feel very uh perfunctory and and straightforward or not not perfunctory is not the right word but like theoretical yes it's theoretical yes and whereas whereas here you can you can read that exact same structure and be like oh yeah this is the experience of of black people in america actually when i was watching independence day earlier last month oh good i was i was seeing other people watching it and writing about it online and talking about going all the way back to war of the worlds and it being hg wells like critiquing other british people for not for failing to have the imagination to experience what it would be to be colonized. Like that's what he was writing about. Uh, uh-huh. So it, yeah, it's just a thing that, that I've been thinking about in this space. Okay. So what, what is this book? Who is in this book? What okay. is the King? It's not, I don't know if it's a kingdom. What is the land? What happened? It is a kingdom. It's a, so let's talk about characters. The ma- so you get three POV characters and I would, I would say that there are four main characters overall okay our conversation about the hunger games and like 
how it feels constricted by only being in Katniss's POV is interesting because th- this book has multiple POVs that give you more perspectives, which is fun, but it also doesn't give you everyone's perspective, which means you can still be surprised by things Funny. rather than being like gone girled where you're like, <laughs> why isn't this? Why aren't these? I'm in this guy's head. Why don't why doesn't he just think at me whether he killed his wife or not? <laughs> For the first half of the book. I love when characters think at me in a book. All right, who are these but people? But he's thinking at you the whole time. No, and he's, he is. It's like, oh, I'm going to th- I'm gonna think really circumspectly around the circumstances of my wife's disappearance. Oh, Blah, boo. <laughs> the more I think about that book, the more mad it makes me. But the, the main character, like, I think the person who it revolves around and who it's grounded in the most frequently like I, I didn't count like chapters or, or pages to okay, see who okay. gets the most of the thing but uh, her name is Zaley and she is a um there there's this class of people in this kingdom called uh, diviners who you like they used to be like mages they used to have magic and and magic takes a lot of different kind kinds of uh, shapes in this world um we, there, there is no. Uh, this is another thing that doesn't really that happens in an like quote adult fantasy book that doesn't happen in this. But there's like no glossary at the end, which is like here's all the different types of wizards, yeah, and the, and the yeah. kinds of magic that they can do. But you do get that there are different kinds of magic, and you like you have a kind of magic, and that's just the kind of magic that you have. Like there, there are burners who command fire, and healers who heal people, reapers who uh, sort of command and commune with the dead, like the spirits of the dead. Heck that's yeah. what Zaley is. I always um, pick the necromancer in Diablo. As I can tell well, you right so now. necromancer is interesting because there's another one called cancer, Uh-oh. which just like gives people diseases. No. So you know in Mega Man games, yeah. where the robots ostensibly have been ostensibly have been created for peaceful purposes, <laughs> and then Doctor Wily corrupts them into weapons of of destruction. Yes, but then you get to somebody like Crash Man who just has bombs, and you're like, "What? And what like, was you know, the what good is thing the, what's here? What's the peacetime application for Crash Man?" Okay. And for cancer, I'm like, okay, so healers heal people. Like, fire can be good and bad. Uh, like, communing with spirits can be good or bad. Is there a good way to give people diseases? I don't know. And it's not just healers doing their magic evilly. Like it is backwards. a distinct. Yeah. It is a distinct form of magic. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that sounds awful, but okay. But but anyway, uh, so diviners are a are a distinct class of people. They are your skin uh, lightness comes up in this in this book a few times, but it, it it's not um, as prevalent as hair color. So um, diviners tend to have darker skin, and like nobility tends to have lighter skin. But everybody's black, like some you know, somewhere on that spectrum. Diviners have white hair. Okay. And that's, that's the thing that uh, sort of sets them apart from everybody else. And if there is an allegory for like blackness, as we understand it in America, it, it is white hair. It's like, it's this thing that you can't, you can try to cover up, I guess, but really like fundamentally you can't walk around without it, you know? And that, and that betrays to anyone around you that you also have magical abilities that then they are going to perceive perhaps differently than you perceive them. 
Well, and... so that that's something that that maybe it gets into um, a little bit in the next book. But but as of this book, uh, diviners have had their like magic has been eradicated from this world okay. by the by the king, and the king is the big bad in this book. Love a big bad. Um, he. Uh, in in living memory, like maybe ten or eleven years ago, something like that, he somehow just shut magic off. Um, there's a there's a big passage at the beginning of the book that talks about how people who had magic were sort of revered and then f- and then feared and then like hated, and it's sort of the standard Yoda force. Okay, sure. <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of progression <laughs> of, of of things. Okay. Uh, but and and hate led to this king deciding, you know, if these if people who have magic are allowed to have magic, then people without magic just have to live in fear of them, and we can't have them in our kingdom, and we just need to to turn this off. Okay. It's interesting that it's interesting that um that Adeyemi claims uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender as one of the inspirations inspirations for this work which i know you just watched like all of right i did watch that and then also all of the sequel series legend of korra (laughs) which isn't as good but this isn't we can talk about this okay great wonderful off mic but um there it's it's also a thing where the magic users in that universe have magic or they don't and they don't i don't i don't they don't fully explore like the relationship between people who have magic and people who don't and even Harry Potter doesn't do this. Like people who don't have magic mostly get like Men in Black mind yeah. zapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they just remain unaware that that magic is a thing, and there's no there's... like conscious interaction between the worlds except for like world leaders. Which then, of course, like reinforces the caste system of who does and does not have magic in that universe too, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is like you you get to know about the real world or not. <laughs> Based mm-hmm. on whether or not you're a magic person, mm-hmm. so what is the the king has taken magic away? All the diviners are still around. They all still have white hair. It is it is known that they would have been like mages had magic not been taken away. But as it is, they just have this this physical marker that means that they are sort of an underclass in in society. Okay, okay. Um, so Zaylee remember like she remembers when. Uh, magic was taken away like her mother was killed her father became sort of a shell uh of himself and um it's just been her and her brother zane is that the pronunciation yeah that's the one i found just zane yeah yeah um so her her mother was like a a magic user father was not and so her brother is not a magic user and she would have been if magic still existed, but she is not currently. Um, But she, you know, there there is a tradition of diviners in this world sort of trying to stick together and to, and to train together and sort of keep legends alive, keep hope alive, even if they can't like train each other in magic, like they're still trying to not have all this information be forgotten totally. Sure. Is it like an active culture of resistance or is it more like we're going to we're just going to keep we're just going to kind of hold on to this knowledge if and when it becomes useful again? It's sort of an an undergroundy sort of resistance. Like we we have to live in the system, but we are sort of biding our time and waiting. Okay. 
Cool. Perhaps for for something to come up and and to fix this when the faucet starts um, running again, the magic faucet. <laughs> um. So, uh, Zaylee is like she she has a complicated relationship with her with her brother and her father because like like I said, her father's kind of needed. He's needed people to take care of him. Mm. Uh, Zaylee has a way of getting into trouble. Some of that is because she is a woman and some of the guards of this kingdom uh, think and do unsavory things, as you might expect from dudes with even a modicum of power. Yep. Uh, but Zane is it's kind of in a position where he feels like he needs to take care of everyone. Uh, Zaylee is in this position where the, the pain of her mother's death and what was taken away from them is with her all the time. Um, and this is, this is just kind of how they exist. Um, the inciting incident of the, of the book is that the soldiers of this kingdom have come through and they are collecting taxes and wouldn't you know it, they have a way of just collecting taxes multiple times or raising taxes on this oppressed minority of the population because if people can't take pay their taxes, then they get kind of brought into indentured servitude, which you can never escape from. Like it's, it is a legal form of slavery, essentially that that uh, diviners in particular oh. get get drawn into and can't get out of. Criminalized poverty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Criminalized poverty. Cool. 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 Great. So uh, they have caught a really good fish, and like. And Zaylee and Zane, like they they decide to go into the city and they're gonna sell this fish, and they're gonna get enough money that they can pay off this next tax hike and just kind of live to fight another day. Basically. Sure, sure. Uh, so Zaylee goes into the city. She sells this fish for an exorbitant price to this <laughs> stupid idiot noble, <laughs> and it's it's one of those little character moments in a fantasy book where. It's like this is this is a fantasy book telling me how smart and oh, clever yep. and like good at thinking on her feet our main character is. Yeah, it's a great like first episode introducing you to how this person can move through the world scene. Yeah. yeah it's like cool, a good cool. introduction, like the intro sequence of Chrono Trigger sort of <laughs> Totally. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Millennial fair <laughs> scenario. <laughs> Sure. All the references in this podcast, mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. one. Mega Man Crunch Trigger got them all. Have you played a video game between the years of 1985 and 1996? <laughs> we got you covered. Um, I, I imagine that a complication will arise, though. Oh, yes. Complications certainly arise. Um, she, Zaylee is trying to make it. She, she has resolved. Listen, I'm not going to cause trouble for Zane this time. I'm going to get my. I'm going to go into the city. I'm going to get my money. I'm going to come out, and everything's going to be great and normal, and no must, no fuss. And she is somebody runs into her. It's like she, it's like a hooded girl runs into her and obviously needs help. She is running from something. And Zaylee's sense of justice does not allow her to let this this girl be left to whatever it is that her fate is. This girl, her name is Amari. She is the princess of this realm. So she's the daughter of the king, uh, the younger of the king's two kids who we both meet in this book. Uh, we meet both of them in this book, I mean. Um, 
and she has run away from the palace with this scroll that lets diviners reclaim their magic. Whoa. That seems um, like an important scroll. <laughs> yeah, so Amari is uh is one of the other POV characters in this and she is she's like this is another this is another moment where the skin tone thing comes up is okay. is like she she is dark for a noble and so we see her mother sort of complimenting her on her appearance in a way that's supposed to imply that she looks particularly light skinned today and, yeah, and that's okay. that's one of the things that the book does that that is supposed to get you in her corner i think like the book's established enough about the way that skin color works to like to then when you see that you know what it means yeah yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. um so amari has got this diviner like servant slash friend who is killed by the king killed by her father oh for something that she didn't do and amari has like she she because she is friends uh with this with this woman she sort of has divinered sympathies anyway there's another thing that like happened between her and her dad and her brother that we learn about later uh that that sort of separates her from them and makes her more likely to break out on her own and rebel and do her own thing. Okay. But she, so she takes this, this closely guarded scroll that the King has like recently recovered from, you know, lands unknown (laughs) and any, like any diviner who touches it basically gets, gets their magic back. Oh, so she is, is running away from the castle or I don't even know if it's actually a castle, but like running away from the, you know, the, the big building where all the nobles live (laughs) and she runs into it in fantasy worlds where they do just build a big house and stuff it full of the (laughs) upper class. (laughs) And there's always a scene where it's like, we got to get in there. We got to dress up as nobles, like seven, not nobles in a trench coat. We got to get in there. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I'm thinking about. It's like the Mistborn novels had one of this. Like that city was laid out in a way that all the nobles just hung out in like a bunch of cool houses near a tower. And I was like, well, that's where we're more gonna go. Like, I'm thinking more like Wizard of Oz, where oh, they all yeah, sneak okay. into the witches' like castle in the guard uniforms, but then the cowardly <laughs> lion's tail is sticking out, and so yes. that's how they know that it's it's our heroes. I like that. There, there's always that sequence. Yes, where. They're allowed in, but then as they walk away, one of the guards turns around and is like, oh, my goodness, sees them. Yep. It never you know works that moment? out. I do know that never moment. I'm familiar. It's a good one. Um, so, Amar- so this is sort of like the two of them meet up in this like chase. The scroll is there. The scroll is there. So, I mean, Zaley comes in contact with it, and she gets magic back. Oh, and so she is she's running with Amari through the city trying to get away from these guards who are chasing Amari down. And you know, Z- Zaley is is noticed by the man who is leading this this like platoon of guards, and even though they escape, they leave an indelible impression on him. This guy is a it's Enon. Is okay. that his name? Yeah. Or that's that's a pronunciation that you got? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the prince. This is uh, Amari's older brother. And as uh, as Zaley and Amari are running away, there is this like there's this sort of electric connection that 
Zaylia and Enon have with each other. And it turns out that Enon, even though he's the member of this of this royal family and they have traditionally not been magic users, like he is he is he has latent magical magical abilities and because he's run into them with this scroll he gets magic woken up inside him as well. Oh yeah. So it sets up this this classic like this constant like heel turn face turn thing that I think you get in a lot of fantasy yes, where you don't know if somebody's supposed to be a good guy or you know, a bad guy. He's a real proto man if you know what I'm talking about. He, he is kind of a proto man. Yeah. A little. He's like related to the main character in a way and you don't you think maybe he's a bad guy but then like randomly at the end maybe he'll show up and help you out because he's not on board <laughs> with the bad guy this time so uh Zaylee and Amari and Zane all uh i mean <laughs> uh Zaylee has really kicked the anthill on yeah this, this seems one. like she's, a she's big supposed deal to, she was supposed to go to town and sell a fish and then go home <laughs> And instead, she has all of the king's guards and the prince himself, like chasing her down, and she's absconding with the princess. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. So they they run like not before Enon can come and like burn their village down in a classic like end of the RPG e- intro sequence. We're going to the overworld map now because you can't go incident. home anymore. Yes, yes, uh-huh. right, yeah. Like you're banished from your village. Yep. This is good. I like Go this. Go away. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I will never say anything but two la- lines of canned dialogue to you ever again. <laughs> leave leave this village and never come back. Uh, so the three of them all leave on this on this quest. To, so so uh, Zaley has this uh, mentor, Mama Agba, mm. who is a, you know, she was a magic user back before magic got taken. She's an older woman. So like most of her life, she was a magic user and she's a, a sort of a seer, like a, a somebody who can see the future. And so she sees the three of them, Zane and Amari and Zaley all like going to this temple and figuring out a way to bring magic back. Okay. So she sends them all in this quest and Enon is in hot pursuit. Um, all the while trying to fight down this magical ability that he's just realized he has because it's kind of antithetical to everything that he has ever been taught or like thought about diviners and magic users in this in this world. Ah, internalized self-hate. Yes. Okay. Um, so we, we have a classic moment where our party meets like a, an elder at this temple who sort of walks them through, you know, you need to go and you need to co- collect these MacGuffins and then go to this place with the MacGuffins. Sure. And using the MacGuffins by this specific date, you bring magic back. Okay. And it, so but does it has that to happen like by a specific you? time? Yeah, there's like a solstice, like, oh, a, perfect. like an alignment of the planets or whatever. And if you, you can't bring magic back... By then, it'll be a hundred years before it happens again, and by then, you know, this kingdom will have completely eradicated diviners and everybody who ever could have used magic, and it will just never, like, it's now or never, basically. Well, and I would imagine now that they, and I, the kingdom, I presume, knows that this scroll is missing, and so now the threat of diviners becoming magic users again is is bad to them. Yes, that, that, is, driving, that is driving the king's... Uh, vitriol like he 
He doesn't know that Amari has like run away willingly. He just knows that Amari and this diviner have have yeah. run off. And um, he tells Enon, you know, like go go get these people and prove that you can be a king. Basically, it's the classic like he's an evil king, but he's my dad, and I have to. Oh sure, like I have to juggle my disagreement with his goals and methods with my need to be loved by daddy. And that's like Enon's. I don't like my dad's politics, but I do love him. (laughs) We have a lot of tough talks at Thanksgiving, but I do love my dad. And we do bond over football. So I don't there is kind of a football. Whoa, is there is there like a blitz ball? something like is there a- <laughs> we don't i mean there's no chapter where we are playing <laughs> blitzball as like a side quest but there yeah there is kind of a sports league well there's culture where, where, it's, this seems yeah, like a realized like people, world right yeah in scenarios where it seems like our heroes are in a corner but then somebody has to go to a city where they know a guy it's because they like played this like fake blitzball heck yes sport i love it okay so let's we've established our our characters i think the only one that you need to we need to talk a bit about a little bit more at this point is enon okay so he is traveling with this uh this admiral who is also his it's strongly implied that it's his dad's lover um, and he is trying to suppress this magic, which is like physically taking a toll on him, mm. but also like being, he is a kind of, of magic user who can sort of sense the thoughts and memories and like the auras of other magic users. And so this is the only way that he actually knows where Zaylee is and how to track her down. So he keeps like, she smells like sea salt. And he keeps like getting this like impression of her and knowing which way to go, and then having to make up re- like real world reasons, <laughs> real world non magical reasons why he, he would know that's to cool. do these specific things. So they, they there's a there's a bit of a chase. Um, our heroes get away a couple of times. And you said Zaley, not not Zaley. before the not before their elderly, uh, you know the the guy they meet at this temple. Not before he dies heroically, like helping them to get away. So okay. there's another tropey thing for you. Um, do, and Zaylee's power again is what type of She's magic? She's a reaper. She she can commune and and command the dead. How does just in general? How is that for her? Is it weird? Is it cool? Is it so there? There is um, early in her relationship with magic. It's like magic is sort of a. It's, there's this sort of spirity thing that you have inside you called a shea. A shea builds like another muscle in our bodies. The more we use, the easier it is to harness and the stronger our magic becomes. Uh, that's a quote from the book. But also, like, if you try to overexert yourself, you're sure. going to you're gonna be too sore. You're going to have a bad time. Okay. Okay. Um, so she is... As somebody who is who has not really been an adult at all mm. in the in an era where magic has been a thing, she is sort of struggling to communicate with it and grasp it. Um, the old, you know, the old temple hermit mentor character tells her that the gods, you know, must have selected her for a reason, and so she is fighting against feeling like that can't possibly be true. Like why me? Like, what is it about me that is 
that's so special. Sure, 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 sure. I keep running down all these tropes and recognizing all the tropes, but think like they they are fresh because of the context. You know what I mean? That was the prevailing vibe from the Goodreads reviews that I was reading. Um and I, I don't I don't know that we need to actually go deep on them given our discussion here today, but like the the general three star reviews response were it was overhyped and it couldn't have lived up to the hype or it was a little long or and I do I think you want to talk about this. There were some folks who were not into the kind of romantic elements of the book um, and bounced off of that. And there were folks who were like, it's a little too reliant on established YA tropes. Um, whereas the five star reviews were like, love these characters, love that this is a different setting for this type of story, really want to get on board with a sequel. There is one review from Tomi Adeyemi that says, you'll like this book, I'm biased, but I need to meet my Goodreads challenge, so I'm marking this as red. Um, <laughs> she seems like she rules, actually. <laughs> she seems super cool. Um, and yeah, so the the kind of like middle of the road reviews were folks who were like, I'll probably read the sequel. I wish this book had done a couple things different. Or they read a lot of YA fiction, so maybe these tropes actually like hit them clunkier than it might a different reader. Yeah. You know, and and that is that might speak to like the, you know, 30-something reader on Goodreads who's read a lot of these books before as opposed to the 17-year-old who this might be or 13-year-old this might be their first type of book like this you know yeah i mean i tr- i try to be and that the the you know first book like this thing is is really important because even if for like a a young black reader this might not be their first book like this but might this might be the first book like this where they can sort of more easily imagine themselves in the in the shoes of the main character or like dealing with some of the stuff the main character deals with correct um yeah like i i i don't always love it when i can see the strings yeah you know but i can appreciate when a trope is like subverted or deployed really well Mm. and part of it part of that being deployed really well is like I can tell it knows it's a trope and it is using my knowledge of that trope and like our mutual recognition that it is a trope <laughs> sure. to build on it in an interesting way. Okay, sure. So that I mean this book does that all the time. It's see and you've kind of hit on that with a lot of the character descriptions like they're hitting very clear archetypes for these types of stories but it seems like they have enough of their own personality to make them memorable or the context is a little bit different, which makes them sing a little bit or something like that. Yeah. So, okay. We're, we're running a little long. So I want to make sure a little long. I I can blast through the rest of this plot thing. Uh, the, so the romance aspect and the, about like, uh, three quarters of the way through the book is where I DM'd you being like, this book kind of has a lot of romance stuff in it and it does, <laughs> sure. it does come back more to the fantasy stuff by the end. But the, the room, the romance element is Enon. Like he is tracking them. He is using magic to track them. And this Admiral who, you know, he, he's known for a long time who is his father's lover, like comes upon him using magic in a way that he can't like plausibly deny. Okay. And he not fully even realizing what he's doing because he doesn't have command, like full command of his magic, 
kills her. Hmm. And so he has to he has to cut and run. Like he he leaves a vague note for his guards to like convey to his father, like, oh, uh, you know, a, a, a diviner or a magic user killed uh killed your girlfriend. Sorry, I'm gonna go get her. <laughs> oh Bye. gosh. Yeah. Um so he is and this is this is an avatar moment. This is very uh Prince Zuko of Enon. You don't understand this, but That's all okay. my all my uh airheads out there will love this one. This is a very Prince Zuko moment where he is uh hunting the avatar and he finds the avatar, but in doing this, he actually becomes allies with the Avatar. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Spoilers for Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> I guess. But no, he he is he is caught up with her, and he is going to he is going to kill her because this is like he she has accidentally sort of upended his life. But then, you know, Zane and Amari both get taken away by this like third party, like this sort of community of, of diviners. We we learn more about them later. But it creates a an opportunity for a, a team up. Sort of a, if if you want to go back to nineties video games like Mario RPG where Mario and Bowser team up. Yeah, it's definitely like that. So it's like that. Exactly. Where like that, they actually. where they have to team up and they are to fight a giant enemies, sword. <laughs> but in teaming up, they become closer friends. That's true. They and do they get to know more about each other. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does he become um, like attracted to her then? Well, like, so it's like yeah, a thing? and yes, and so this is this is the romance trope of like the sort of forbidden romance, and it operates on a lot of levels. Like it is a class thing. It is a like weird sworn enemy, like like Romeo and Juliet, sort yep. of Montague and Capulet. Those you got him, names, yeah, right? you got him. Nice. But but also they I know about they, video games and Shakespeare. <laughs> but they have a, a shared bond as they are both magic people. So like they're both magic people, and Enon's like branch of magic is like empathy and understanding and accidentally getting into people's heads. And so there is a moment where he like. Zaylee's life flashes before his eyes. Ah, and so he he sees her mom dying. He understands all the atrocities that her that that his father has committed, as she has experienced them. And from this point in the book, he becomes a white ally. <laughs> oh, in that he is like i i'd see your pain and i understand it i just want to help maybe if we can just work like i can i can reason with my father maybe we just work it within the system we can create a world where you know mag- where magic can exist and magic users and my family can coexist and we can create a new better kingdom for everybody huh and it's like not far enough or it feels and it's, it's, yeah it is yeah it is it is definitely not far enough and, and and this is all like i i bring this up because this is what the text like explicitly does sure there i do want to uh, correct i misattributed the atlantic review um it's actually by van newkirk um but newkirk talks about zaley's power as the gift of drawing strength from remembrance of the dead which taps into a capacity that has become so important for black protest today like a drawing 
not just like sitting and respecting elders, but like drawing on their strength, drawing on who they were and using that for to build a future. And this sounds like Enon's like, hey, I feel your pain. Well, I'm going to do the Clinton thumb thing and then like say <laughs> I feel your pain and like maybe that will be enough. Jesus. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they, I'm they being have glib, this, but you know, yeah. They have this they have this moment, you know, uh, in this encampment of diviners where this fiction can like briefly take hold. Like Enon believes it, Zaley believes it. They think you know, we we can we can sell everybody on this. The the point where the book lost me, like like it it didn't lose me, but but where it became obvious to me what the book was doing is Enon is thinking like, oh, my father committed all these atrocities. My father like killed her mother. My father sees diviners as like subhuman. But as soon as Enon sort of out of left field a little bit starts being like, well, we can just go and talk to him and reason with them. Uh. I was like, oh, this is like a, this is, mm. this is a commentary on how working within the system doesn't work because the system is inherently racist and horrible. Okay. Not to say that it's it's bad or that it's 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 a little tiny bit clumsily done, but I think that's just because I was kind of on high alert for it already. Sure, 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 um, sure. But uh, yeah, so he he does this, and then guards show up and ruin their little temporary paradise where they've you know built up this future where magic users and non magic users can coexist. Uh, there's a there's a magic user, a burner, who grabs one of the the three MacGuffins that they need to bring magic back. So there's the scroll, there's this like knife with a bone hilt, and there's the sunstone that that super amplifies any magic that anybody has. And that and the the sunstone is sort of how it how the book gets around. I just gave you your magic. I've established that magic is like a muscle that you have to use to make it stronger. But I do also, for plot reasons, need you to be instantly really great at magic. I need you to go Super Saiyan right <laughs> and now. And so could you just yeah. hold the sunstone for a minute and you can do whatever I need you to do? <laughs> That's great. That's so, um, because it like that, whether or not it happens in this book, but in any story where you have something like that, that could then become a tool for evil. That could like That's really rad. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, uh, one of the one of the diviners, a uh, uh, you know a, a burner from this like encampment of of magic users, grabs a sunstone. When these guards show up, like they they they're having this like festival, and everybody's having very touchy feely moments. Like Zane and Amari are vibing, uh, Zaley and Enon are vibing. Zane and Enon. Especially Zane does not like Enon because mm. he's been chasing them and yeah, trying to kill sense. them this whole time. Classic Avatar <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, and uh, and so uh, Bernard grabs this sunstone when these guards attack, and he just like melts three platoons of guards, Ooh. and then like combusts himself. And uh, Zaley is captured. Um, Enon has a sort of a heel turn where he plays dumb and gets taken back into the fold. Mm -hmm. And in this interrogation chamber, they're having this debate where Zaley is saying, you know, you, you literally betrayed me. Like, this is not what we talked about. And 
talking about like the like fear versus hope like mm. Zaley has made the point that uh diviners we we need magic to live like this is this isn't a this is a thing where we need power or the people in power will not respect us and yeah. they will oppress us and they will kill us and Enon, like on the face on the face of things, agrees with this and and agrees that his dad has done terrible things. But he talks about this this burner melting, you know, all these guards, and he says, uh, "But imagine how it looked to the guards." Enon speaks quickly. Oh. I know Kwame's intention. Kwame oh. is the uh, is the burner. I know Kwame's intentions were pure, but he took it too far. For years, Yo. we've been warned about magic like that. What Kwame did was worse than anything fathers ever said. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so this is this is a, it's this is it doing. We talked about this earlier. This is it doing that fantasy thing where it's talking about change from within versus overthrow, but it is doing it in a very clear a context where it is clearly talking about like policing and the, the political yeah. and power structures in America and how they oppress Woof. basically anybody yeah. who's not white, but especially uh, black people. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's the, what? That's like that. That's the core of the the thing. So like the the rest of the book, the last like third or or quarter of it or so from that is, you know, Zaley is tortured by the king. Uh, thinks she's lost her magic. She's broken out by Amari, who has like come into her own and and has decided, you know, I'm my father has been terrible to me, and I am not only am I going to like fight and kill him like she she is changed from outside the system she is overthrow and then i in my like from my position of power and privilege i will be the queen and i'm gonna be actually good mm, at mm, it mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna like waffle on but like enon's internal conflict is all about like seeing so he sees uh Zaley's perspective where his dad has done all kinds of terrible stuff and it's really bad. He's also seen magic like kill a ton of people. Hmm. And so he is always and his like, superpower yes, my, my, is empathy. So my my dad is bad, but also if magic got into the hands of bad people, yeah. that would also be really bad. Yeah. Hmm. Like don't build a don't build public transit into my town from the inner city says says, says Enon. oh my god he's like yeah it seems like he's like what is the solution that will like help the life of this woman i've come to love but like not shake things up too much because i i can sort of see why people made the bad decisions they made up until now yeah yeah, yeah that's pretty much it um huh okay so I, I, I can guess you see where it's going in the sequel, or like, does it? How does it? Well, so I what, what happens in? Yeah. I guess I can just fully spoil it. Is there? There is a spoilers, spoilers, so spoilers. Enon, Enon's back on the on the dark side. Um, the, our heroes make it to this island where they've got to bring magic back, 
and there is this big uh there's this big fight where uh Amari kills her dad. Heck yeah. Uh Enon like uses magic in front of his dad and his dad is like, You're no son of mine, which I feel like is another maybe fantasy trope or like fiction trope. A rejection of where you come from. Like Yes, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like telling this character clearly you thought there were two sides to this, but actually you got one of them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and like magic gets, magic does get brought back. It doesn't look like it's going to for a while, but then it does. But then at the end of the book, Amari, who is not a diviner, who's not a magic user, just like summons some like glowy blue electricity light oh, in her hands. It's like, Oh, we brought magic back, but what if we brought it back too good? Uh-oh. And that's that is the book setting up the sequel. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And that seems like it would have its own problems because now you are increasing power across the hierarchy. Well, yeah, yeah, like you you have it is not just like the underclass versus the nobles anymore. It is now some of the nobles have this power too, mm. ostensibly. And and you like how how does that go? Okay. Well, it sounds like this book is kind of it's it's what's up. Like it it knows what it's doing. <laughs> That's a good assessment. And it is I like to, accomplishing. Yeah, do you want to read any parts? I know you have to I just I just wanted to put a cap on our our discussion by talking about the epilogue. Um not the epilogue, but the, the author's uh, note, author's right? Note. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh so uh Tommy Adeyemi says, "I shed many tears before I wrote this book. Many tears as I revised it and even even as it sits in your hands now, I know that I will shed tears again." Although writing giant lion airs and performing sacred rituals might be in the realm of fantasy, all the pain, fear, sorrow, and loss in this book is real. Children of Blood and Bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed black men, women, and children being shot by the police. I felt afraid and angry and helpless, uh, but this book was the one thing that made me feel like I could do something about it. I told myself that if just one person could read it and have their hearts or minds changed, then I would have done something meaningful against a problem that often feels so much bigger than myself. Now this book exists and you are reading it. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. But if this story affected you in any way, all I ask is that you don't let it stop within the pages of this text. Um... If you cried for uh, Zululaika and Salim, cry for innocent children like Jordan Edwards, Tamir Rice, and Ayana Stanley Jones. They were 15, 12, and 7 when they were shot and killed by police. If your heart broke for Zaley's grief over the death of her mother, then let it break for all the survivors of police brutality who've had to witness their loved ones taken firsthand. Survivors like Diamond Reynolds and her four-year-old daughter who were in the car when Philando Castile was pulled over, shot, and killed. Uh, Geronimo Yanez, the officer who killed him, was acquitted of all charges. There are just a few tragic names. These are just a few tragic names in a long list of black lives taken too soon. Mothers ripped from daughters, fathers ripped from sons, and parents who will live the rest of their lives with a grief no parent should have to know. This is just one of the many problems plaguing our world, and there are so many days when these problems still feel bigger than us. But let, let this book be proof to you that we can always do something to fight back. Uh, as Zaley says in The Ritual... We are all children of blood and bone. And just like Zaley and Amari, we have the power to change the evils in the world. We've been knocked down for far too long. Now let's rise. And so that is... Any, any in, can, in, yeah. in other contexts, I might call this allegory like sort of heavy-handed mm. even. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but like I said earlier, it's the... 
it's the context that makes it powerful and the context that makes it work. Yes. And every um, every interview that I watched her in or read of hers about this book, like she does fervently believe that like if the right kid reads this book, if the right person is moved by people who are open to being moved by stories or inspired by stories, like let this be one that is available to them because that's what she feels she can create and do. Um, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, maybe we should have prefaced this whole episode with this, but I am coming at this from a, a profoundly privileged position as a, as a white man who has done a lot of reading and a lot of observing and has, has tried to help and to be on the, the right side of things, but I'm sure there is also stuff that I've just like messed up or, or done yeah. bad at. And I hope that like, <laughs> we got to, we'll, we be accountable for the things that we're bad at and we take the opportunities we can to be better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and if we bring this book to somebody and you read it and you enjoy it, then I hope that we've, you know, I hope that we've helped a little bit in, in the way that we can help. Yeah. Uh, can I give a, a shout out to something that didn't fit into our conversation, Andrew? Please do, and then let's. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. found a an article on AfricaAccessReview.org. It's um, a series of reviews on texts like set in Africa, um, and it is by Dr. J. Winmalawe, I believe, and it is specifically about the Yoruba tradition that Adiyeme is referencing like throughout this whole book and that she kind of built the world around even though yeah, it's not it, one it's to like one. A, it's a fictional world but the uh, Orisha the book's sort of gods are from the real world Yoruba re- religion and the the Yoruba language is also the book's like magic language yeah like, Latin would be in like in white fantasy yeah yeah um I think she's she's even said that if 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 Harry Potter can make us like Latin, like let's just do this. Um, and so this article is just really rad. It's it, you just search children of blood and bone for, and Africa access and you'll find it. And it gets into like portrayals of Africa and fiction and the inclusion of like perspectives from the diaspora because Adiyemi actually encountered a lot of this stuff in Brazil first. Um, so it's just interesting reading if you are like interested in where, this like magic and where the world building may have come from with a a recognition that it is not purporting to be an actual it's not actually set in a real place um which i know some folks are like if you're going to do the representation make sure it's the real thing and it's not the real thing um so yeah just wanted to give that a shout out um if folks want to email us about books uh, of all kinds, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at overduepod, uh, and you can talk to us there as well. Uh, thanks to Tom, Katie, Nicole, Rachel, Hannah, Sean, Tina, Kristen, Lexi, Elizabeth, and many more uh, for talking to us this week on social media. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is that internet URL. You should go there and click our links we got links for days yep. apple podcasts google podcasts our rss feed stitcher uh, spotify we're on all those things subscribe get new episodes when they come out every monday we've got a new listener page if you are a new listener and you're looking for episodes that we particularly like 
Uh, they are up there. And a Patreon page you can use to support the show and get bonus episodes ahead of time. Patreon.com slash Overdue Pod. Uh, we just last week posted uh, our first Genie Babies uh, like compilation episode. Uh, this is a long read that we are posting for patrons first, but where we read through uh, the Arabian Nights a uh, few nights at a time, yeah, basically, and, and we had we've had some fun with them. Yes, it's, it's bonkers in there. Get, I'll say, get in there, get in those nested tales. Um, our theme song is by Nick Larangis. Uh, next week, I'm reading "Before I Fall" by Lauren Oliver. By the time you hear this. We may have finalized our schedule. It'll be up in the next day or two. Um, so keep an eye out for that. You can find that on our website or our social feeds. But yeah, Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver is next week. And that's it, Andrew. Get us out of here. That's it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.